Tackling your business's finance to-dos can be daunting enough without being slowed down by QuickBooks. More like slow books. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one financial system, no matter how big your business grows. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow. All in one place. Special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite right now. That's NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This is episode number 26 of the Profitology Podcast with Michael Drew, founder of Profluent and book marketing expert. Welcome to the Profitology Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly O'Neill. Profitpreneurs are rewriting the rules for entrepreneurial business success in how they operate and scale their businesses, make more money, and design their businesses to give them more unplugged time in the process. Each week, join me for insightful and candid interviews with the most brilliant business minds, celebrity influencers, and fellow profitpreneurs who are disrupting the status quo and are going to leave you inspired to rewrite the rules in your own business. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Profitology Podcast. I am so thrilled today to bring you one of my most absolutely brilliant, dear, and longtime friends, as well as marketing genius, Michael Drew. So Michael has been marketing books for his entire career, and he's actually become the world's most successful book promoter, launching 99 consecutive books onto the New York Times bestsellers list. He has now created a brand new company called Profluent, and he's also the best-selling author of the book Pendulum, How Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. And today in this episode, Michael and I talked all about how he believes that direct response marketing is dead. And he started to dive into the 12 steps of intimacy that you can adapt actually from dating and how he applies those to online and offline marketing to help you create better, deeper, longer, and ultimately more successful relationships with your ideal clientele. This episode is going to be jam-packed with information that is really brought a perspective that I've never heard it before. So get a pen and paper and listen up because here we go. We're going to start talking to Michael Drew. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Profitology Podcast. I am here with my good friend, Michael Drew. He is the best-selling author of Pendulum, and also, he is just an all-around good guy. He is going to be here today talking about direct response, being dead, and the 12 steps of intimacy in marketing and selling. Michael, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you here. So Michael and I, we go way back. How long have we known each other? At least 15 or 16 years, maybe longer. Forever, forever, forever ago. And you and I have spoken on several of the same stages. You have done a lot of book tours regarding your work's pendulum. And today I'm super interested when I saw this topic come over. Tell me about this. Why is direct response dead? It's a great question. You, you brought my book, Pendulum, and that's kind of the impetus for the, the concept to begin with. As you know, in the presentation, we talk about a cyclical movement 
of society from a me mentality to a we mentality. And what we did is research the last 3,000 years of recorded Western civilization, Roy H. Williams and I, looking for a cultural movement because marketing and advertising are done in non-intimate environments, meaning movements of groups. Selling is done in intimate environments. And so we were looking for these macro movements so that we could give our clients a competitive advantage in predicting the future so that we give them that advantage. And so as part of that, we define the values of a me cycle and the values of a we cycle. And neither is wrong. There's a value to me and a value to we. It's simply that human beings take a good thing too far. Now, what happens in business when you move from one cycle to the next cycle, that the uh, old names, the big, the old dinosaurs in your industry or space maintain doing the same thing that they were doing in the previous cycle, simply applying it into the new cycle. And that's not really a recipe for success in that new cycle. Well, we've moved from me to we, but most of the direct response marketers maintained utilizing the same tactics and philosophies that they did in the previous me and applying it to their marketing in a we. And so where in a me, it was about being bigger and better than who you were. In a we, it's about being real, raw, and relevant, about being authentic. In a me, it's about push. In a we, it's about pull right? It's, in a me, it's about seduction. In a we, it's about community and relationship. And so the old way of doing direct response simply bastardized the technologies that are what we know today as the internet and social media and YouTube and beyond. The internet as an entirety is a pull technology, right? When you type something into Google or into YouTube or anywhere else, you're searching for something. There's no push. Nobody's pushing you to do that search. So what happens is if your customers do that and you show up in a search result on Google or Yahoo or Bing or YouTube or anywhere else, it's because you know how to be in the market of, uh, you, you, you know where your customer is going to be, right? You know that they're going to be at this store at this place at this time. And so you're there or online, it's the same thing. And so it's an issue of understanding how to not bastardize the technology by trying to push content out through a pull technology, but rather how to properly leverage pull technology in a way that society and culture accepts and value. Now, you and I both know that the direct response industry and the personal development industry as well has seen some major problems in applying these old direct response approaches to marketing. And what we know to be true in business topology, if you want to solve an industry-wide problem, you never look in the industry for the solution. You always look outside of the solution. The, The best example of that, of course, was how Henry Ford created the assembly line. Right When he was trying to put four together, he went and looked at other industries to find the fastest way to be able to assemble cars. And in fact, what he found was a good friend who was a butcher, I believe, in Chicago, who had a big giant butchery. And he went into the, the butchery and what he found was that at the butchery that they had different people that were taking the carcass apart. One person would do the, the head, one person would do the legs, one person would do the belly, and it would go down a disassembly line. And that's how they would butcher an animal. And so what he said is, cool, let's inverse that and apply that towards building a car. And that's how he created the assembly lines that we have today based on watching what they did in butchery. So when you look at an industry-wide problem in communication and marketing and advertising, you can't look inside the industry for solutions. You have to look outside of it. During the research for Pendulum, Roy and I did, we said, cool, if we're now in a we cycle, which we are, if we're in a we cycle and we're looking at the values of a we cycle about pull, where it's about intimacy and relationship and community and being real raw and relevant, what other industries other than marketing and advertising deal with relationships? Because at the end of the day, most business is a relationship-based thing, whether it's one to few or one to many, it's based on relationship. And so what we decided on was marriage counseling. Now, marriage counseling has a massive amount of data and research behind it. 
and they've been working on it for a number of years. And the kind of the foundation of that was by a gentleman by the name of Desmond Morris. He was a clinical researcher and psychologist and a zoologist actually back in the 50s and 60s. And there was an actual biological question with scientists and doctors about the Homo sapien primate as to whether or not we were in the late 50s and early 60s as to whether or not we were a pair bonded or promiscuous species of primate. You see, the primates run the gamut from the bonobos that will screw anything to the chimps or the gorillas who have one or two mates for their entire life. And what determines the level of promiscuity or pair bondedness of the um, of that version of, of primate was dictated by a very interesting thing that you could define how promiscuous or pair bonded the species was based on the size of the male genitalia in percentage to the body of that species. Homo sapien men happen to have their genitalia smack between, from a percentage standpoint, all of the, the primates. And so there was this genuine question, are we a pair bonded or promiscuous species of primate? And so he did the research and what he found it was at the core level, um, the Homo sapien primate has something very unique, which is an emotional need, which is not something that you find in other primates. And emotional need is for emotional security. And so Homo sapiens have a preference towards pair bonded relationships with a desire for promiscuity. And so he then did the next level of research and he said, cool, what then defines with that, what defines a long-term pair bonded relationship versus a non-long-term uh, pair bonded relationship? And what he discovered was that at the foundational level of all relationships, there are these 12 fundamental steps. And if you skip more than one of those 12 steps, so any two or more steps, it could be two and eight, four and five, seven and 11, it doesn't really matter, any two or more steps, that the impact on the two parties would be so strong that it would have the same impact as having a one night stand. Another analogy that he used would be like laying tile. If you start off at the beginning of the room in one corner and you're a quarter of an inch off, by the time you get to the far end of the room, you're going to be a foot or more off. You just don't see at the beginning of the laying of, of the tile how far you're going to be off until you get to the other side of the room. Same thing in a relationship. If you start off wrong, you may not see the damage that you're doing, but over time, it'll actually the two parties apart. So the question that Roy and I then asked ourselves and that we ask our clients and those that we present to was, what is, do human beings change our psychology when we're in a building a relationship interpersonally or when we're building a business relationship? And our answer to that was no. Human beings are human beings are human beings in any situation. So while the exact steps that are followed in the 12 steps of intimacy include very physical things, the principle of those 12 steps apply in building a business relationship as well. And what's really important about that is that you and I have been friends for a long time. And that's because you and I took the time to invest into each other in building a relationship. There's a lot of time, effort, energy um, that we've invested into each other, each other's businesses, personalized the whole thing. And building a relationship always takes an investment right? It's not something that just happens because I have a need and you, and you have a solution. It takes time to build that relationship. Well, the difference between how you and I built a relationship and how we build the relationship with our customers is based on the intimacy of the environment. You and I have, have built a relationship in intimate environments, right? Even you and I now talking to each other, we can see each other, we can engage right. back and forth, we can feed off of each other. Well, your audience, the people listening to the podcast, are only experiencing an emulation of intimacy. They're actually in a non-intimate environment and they're not actually able to have a, a direct conversation. Now they benefit from you and I having a conversation so they can put themselves using their mirror neurons in either of our shoes, but it's still emulation of actual intimacy. And so what Roy and I noted was that in advertising and marketing, 
what most of the direct response marketers and advertisers did in the previous me cycle from 63 to 2003 was to leverage the, the value set of that cycle, which was actually to be pushed to be bigger and better than who you are. And the points of trust, which is what happens in marketing and selling, you're trying to meet points of trust were distinctly different. And so when you then move into a we cycle where intimacy and relationship are the currencies that we're looking to exchange, the way that we do that is very different. And therefore the lack of attention that was paid to the details of intimacy in a me cycle violate the values of a we cycle. And so, and so let me ask you a question about that. So we went into the we cycle in 2004. Three. Yep. 2003. Okay. And how long do these cycles typically last? 40 years. 40 years. Okay. So it's not kind of because it's 20 years swing up to its zenith, to its height, 20 years down. 20 years up, 20 years down. So 40 years in a complete cycle. And the, the movement is created by the fact that human beings always take a good thing too far. There's a beauty in a me. It's about freedom, self-expression, and creation. There's a beauty in a we. It's about coming together and doing what's best for the common good. When you take me too far, you become a society that's phony and plastic. And when you take we too far, you lose your sense of identity and you start seeing witch hunts. Literally within 10 years of the zenith of a we, uh, we have seen every single witch hunt in the history of the world happen. So there's benefits to both and there's taking both too far. And what happens is the youth of society at the height becomes the gravity that stops the movement further up to, from getting worse and pulls it back down towards the values of the other cycle until they get into the new cycle. And then that youth take it too far and then their kids pull back down and back and forth and back and forth. Okay. And so what you're, what we're seeing is essentially is that we're, we're seeing people that are still utilizing these me cycle direct response tactics online and off and essentially they are just flooding the internet with stuff that is driving people further away right so what's interesting is the youth were the ones that created the pull technologies that we benefit from today the social media and google and the whole thing but it's the older folks the direct response folks that only saw that as a push sales tool and didn't understand the whole medium and so but what the 12 steps forces us to do because the values are about intimacy and relationship is it forces us to step back, take a step back, because it's now not about trying to manipulate you to take an action, but I want to build a relationship with you. So the question is, what, how do I build a relationship with someone in the real world? And then how do I apply that against our advertising or marketing? And so the 12 steps of intimacy are a direct reminder of all of the small actions that we take for granted in the real world that we don't think about, but have to be applied within the advertising and marketing that we're doing in a non-intimate environment. So it actually forces us to slow down, be more considerate of our audience, and also be considerate of the proper exchange of currency between you and your audience. And I say currency from the standpoint that even you and I exchange currency, right? Time, energy, information, or emotion. That's what happens in an interpersonal relationship, whether it's a pair bond relationship or a friendship, we exchange time, energy, information, and emotion. In business, it's not that different. We still exchange time. We still exchange energy. We still exchange information, but money replaces the, the biggest currency of emotion. What happens is that the direct response marketers are so focused on the single currency of money that they forget the other currency. Mm -hmm. In many considerations, time is a more valuable currency than money. Information can be a more valuable currency than money. Energy can be more valuable currency than money. And so what the 12 steps as applied to business does is it helps you map out the micro steps and gives you the knowledge of what currency you're exchanging with 
your audience, with your customer, right? And how much of a currency, which currency you're exchanging with your customer. Because if you ask for too much currency at one time or too many currencies at one time, then you'll skip steps of intimacy. And then you move from building a relationship to being a direct response marketer. And actually, if we take the dating, the relationship analogy to its fullest extent, what the direct response marketers did at the height of the me cycle that, uh, that was part of taking me too far was they became pickup artists. Literally, when you look at the tactics that a pickup artist uses to get to the transaction of, get, of having sex, you look at the steps that a transactional marker does to be able to get to the transaction of, mark, of getting your money, it's exactly the same thing. I've actually worked with one of the biggest pickup artists in the world, uh, Tucker Max, and presented with them, and he edifies that exact point. Traditional direct response and pickup artist work is exactly the same thing. In one case, the pickup artist is reaching in the woman's pants to take advantage. In the other case, the business owner is reaching in the customer's pants to pull out their wallet. So it's the same thing. So the question is, are you a pickup artist as a business owner or are you building a relationship? Now, to be fair, there are businesses that transaction-based marketing are preferable over relationship marketing. An example would be if you sell a commodity, if you sell an apple or soup or a consumable, right? right? Yeah, I'm thinking like Amazon, all the stuff that you buy on Amazon. Well, the stuff you buy on Amazon, but Amazon itself actually has a relationship with its customers. So Certainly Amazon has the relationship, but you buy commodities from that. So the choice of vendor in that case, you can have a relationship with, but the product may change. Again, using the idea of soup, I could walk into my local grocery store knowing I need to get a a can of chicken soup. And my choice might normally be healthy choice, but Campbell's is on sale for three for one. And I can get three cans for the price of one healthy choice. Probably, unless I have some underlying medical reason, I'm probably going to go with the three for one Campbell's soup, or unless I really hate Campbell's soup taste because most of us buy commodities like that in a transactional way. We don't have full brand loyalty to to a commodity. However, if you're in the business of coaching, speaker, or consultant, if you're an influencer or you differentiate your business model from someone else's, like in real estate that are between Keller Williams and Remax, if information is what differentiates you from your competitor, then you're in the business of therapy, personal therapy or business therapy. And none of us would ever accept on a personal level would be to have a, our therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist marketing to us in the way that the direct response marketers teach us. We would never opt in to get a report to be able to, to be sold the services of a therapist that would violate what the intent of that business is. But what we do, because money is the lifeblood of a business, we forget that it's not the most important currency in most cases. And by focusing on that exclusively, we violate the ability to build a relationship with our customers. I could not agree more. In fact, actually, um, one of the things that uh, by the time this airs, uh, we will have been uh, just done is we actually created a training program called Collaborate to Accelerate, which is all about bringing back in the artistry of one-on-one belly-to-belly relationship marketing. Because in marketing to your affluent clients, uh, and really, you know, to your point, in marketing to all of your clients, but very specifically in marketing to your affluent clients, you need to have a relationship, you know. And and you know, this is something that I figured out as soon as I got into business and started, you know, when we were going on the event circuit and when we were, you know, back in all the all the events that we went to. I invested a lot of time, energy, and money in building these relationships that I still have today, you know, 15 years later. And that's really how my business has built, and that's actually what we're bringing back to our clients. 
So what are the 12 steps of intimacy? Let's bang through those puppies real quick. That's a great question. Now, I'm going to give it to you in Desmond Morris's work. We can go back and describe the, the application to this is, but what I want the audience to understand is that this process is about in building a relationship is you depositing into a relationship bank account with your customers and they're going to deposit the same back into the relationship bank account with you. If you've ever been in a relationship where you gave more or gave less than the other party, you know that those relationships don't last for long, whether it's your fault or their fault, that you're giving more or giving less. If there's not roughly the same give and take into that relationship bank account, it doesn't work. So what we're looking at from a relationship standpoint is that exchange of currency. I'm putting currency in, you're putting currency in. So the quick analysis of the 12 steps is that step 12 in Desmond Morris's world is sex. Now in business, and we'll, we'll go back to this in more detail, business, that's whatever the penultimate product or service that you offer is. And it's actually going to be the least used, but it will represent the biggest thing that you do. Back at step one, it's eye to buy. I see the beautiful woman that not see me. Step two is eye to eye. So I see the beautiful woman, the beautiful woman sees me, and that's where flirting comes in. Step three is voice to voice, having a conversation. Step four is hand to hand. Step five is hand to shoulder. Step six is hand to waist. Step seven is hand to face. Step nine is kissing. Step 10 is heavy petting or hand to body. Step 11 is mouth to body. Again, we're all adults, so we can all imagine that ourselves. Step 11 is uh, full body nakedness, and step 12 is sex. Now, there's actually a really good analogy here between what we do in the real world in interpersonal relationship and dating and building a relationship with customers. You see, step one is eye to body. So I see you, Kelly, for the first at an event. We don't know each other. I'm across the room, and you don't know that, that I see you. Not knowing that I see you, what control do you have over me and my experience thing? Well, you do. You have two things. And they're really part of the same thing. You have how you dress and how you act. So how you present yourself. You are in an environment that you do not control, right? You don't know who's looking at you and what their experience is. Okay, I got it. I thought you meant how how do I control you, what you're seeing? You control my experience of you, right? Got it. I see what you're saying. Okay. Step one is eye to body, so you control. So something is true in business. Literally every bit of marketing and advertising that is done that is not to your existing captured audience is step one, TV, radio, print, podcasting. Like if somebody on your audience knows me, then it may not be step one, it may be step two or step three, but the vast majority of your audience probably won't know who I am or don't know me personally. And therefore this is, it's an eye to body. It's their first experience. I don't know what their experience of me is going to be. I don't know what's going on in their world. All I can can do is control how I present myself. So literally every form of advertising, even speaking on a stage that I don't control is step one. Now, if it's my event, then that's going to be farther down the the list. If it's my list, I've already captured and built a relationship. We're going to be at steps three, four, and five, but any form of advertising in a medium that you don't control to an audience that is not yours is a step one. It's eye to body. Like even a Google search. If you show up in Google, if I show up in Google for search, you type in how to be a bestseller, your time is bestseller, and I'm number one. I can't control who's paying for advertising around my result. I can't control who's below me. I can, there, there's all sorts of things that I cannot control. The only thing I can control is what the result says on my page, right? The only thing I can control is the headline and the copy that comes out. There's nothing else that I can control. So I better know why the customer did the search, what type of person the customer is, and what they want to see. So then this brings us to step two. Step two is eye to eye. So if I'm at the event and I see you, and then you see me back, well, suddenly we're seeing each other. And if we don't know each other, 
then we start this micro engagement, this exchange of information and a little bit of energy and a little bit of time between the two of us, because we don't know each other. We don't, if you and I can sit in a room and we can look at each other in each other's eyes and have a very deep conversation because we know each other that well. But mm -hmm. if try to do that with someone you don't know, what happens is even if you're both there for the right reasons, it gets creepy pretty fast. Yeah, that's a little creepy. Well, again, it's about how much is invested into that relationship again, right? You and I have a lot invested into that. So we can look in each other's eyes for a lot longer than we could with somebody new. And so what you get in this concept of flirting is a back and forth, a back and forth. I look at you, you look away. You look at me, I look away. It's just this instant short engagement that is going back and forth to determine between the two parties if there's a, an energy and a connection or not. So the same thing happens in business. We go from you're seen, I'm seen in an environment I don't control, like at an event I'm speaking at or here on a podcast or on a Google search. So the thing is, how do I make sure that I emulate in an non-intimate environment seeing the customer back? So using the Google analogy, if somebody Googles how to be a New York Times bestseller, right? So I give the direct response, here's how to be a New York Times bestseller, and they click on the link. What I need to do in order to reflect that I see them is that when they click on that link and they go to the blog post or the landing page, and I, and I prefer, I don't use landing pages, I use blog posts almost always, and I'll explain why in a moment, but a better state on the page, the term that was used in the search, I better have a good idea of the type of person that's doing the search and have a guesstimation of the type of information that they need in order to establish trust with them. And I better have all of that information specific to that search and that person on that blog post or results page. Does that make sense? Yes, if I, absolutely. If I do that, then what I'm doing is I'm reflecting back to the person who did the search who clicked on my result that I understand them well enough to answer their stated and unstated needs in terms that are relatively close to their own voice. So then they feel in a virtual sense seen by us. Now, to be clear, the first four steps of the 12 steps of intimacy, and this is true in interpersonal relationship or business, is not to sell. It's not to solve a problem. It's not to say that we have the solution. It's to help the other person feel seen and heard. Thus, on a blog post or a landing page, it's not about solving the problem. It's about directly reflecting back to them who they are and what they need. It's about being seen and heard, first four steps. Now, the reason why I do blog posts versus landing pages is because of the next step, which is step three, which I mentioned earlier, which voice to voice, having a conversation. So on a landing page, the way that a landing page is normally structured is with the intention of a direct response conversion. I want you to download something. I want you to, to opt in for something, right? There's usually a direct response purpose to it. Whereas in a blog post, the intent is to start and have a conversation voice to voice. And so if you don't turn off the, the comments, the objective is to be able to engage your audience, to be able to have a conversation with you in that virtual sense. Right. That doesn't right. mean that we're not going to link off to other important information from that blog post, but a blog post is a really good tool to be able to emulate a voice-to-voice -voice conversation. Now, that does require, no matter how big your audience is, that you or someone who's curating your content goes in and engages in conversation with your audience, but that's what people want. They want to feel seen and heard. They want to know that you care enough to be able to have a conversation with them. That's how you build a relationship in the real world, and that's how you build a relationship online as well. Now, if you have your own social media audience, a step one, like if you do a Facebook ad, that's a step one. If you have your own audience that you've built, that is a step two and a half because it's not a full conversation. It's a micro conversation. 
and it's with someone that already has a relationship with you. So how you use social media and where you use it will dictate whether it's a step one or step two and a half. Now, the other thing to note that's important about social media is that a proper use of social media doesn't allow you to have full conversations most of the time, right? They're micro conversations or short conversations that can lead to other places where bigger conversations Mm -hmm. are, but most people don't take the time to engage in long detailed conversations online. Yes, there are rats. Yes, there's some people that have been able to make an exception to that, but that's more based on the, the message and the type of the niche type of person that they're attracting versus the general rule for most people most of the time. So the step three is voice-to-voice conversation. Now, step four is a hand-to-shoulder. So the idea of, well, pardon me, it's it's hand-to-hand. So you go from having a conversation to shaking a hand, holding a hand. It's the first time play footsies under the table or your hand scooches over and your pinky touches their pinky. What you're, you're looking for in an interpersonal relationship is to see if there's that spark, that energy, that interest. Right now, if it's step three from the voice to voice standpoint, your values don't align or they're not at the same level or there's a disconnect. And then either or both parties will stop the conversation and move on. There has to be a certain alignment for that to work. At step four, you're looking for that energetic connection. Now, at hand to hand, that's where most direct response marketers will do an opt in. An opt in is give me your name and email address and I will give you something. But that's kind of like me asking you for your phone number too early in the process. I'm, we're both really trying to feel it out before I have the right to ask for your phone number. So we like to do other types of things at a step four, like white papers, reports, high value content that takes 15 minutes or less to be able to read a blog post should be three, five minutes at most at step two. But it's a little bit longer, a little bit more invested by the audience and a little bit more by you in terms of the value of the content. Now, the other thing that I like to do is what we call a reverse opt-in. A reverse opt-in gives value first and asks for the information for the phone number, the name and email address, after the value is delivered. And typically speaking, the way that we do that is we take the, the client's subject matter. Say we work, we work with John Maxwell. And he, of course, is he's a, a leadership expert and one of the biggest now since the death of Stephen R. Covey. And so what we did is we took his, his subject matter, leadership, and we took the Myers-Briggs temperament device and we created a quiz. And we said, what kind of leader are you? And so when you went to step four, you would answer 20 questions. You shared information with us. And we would then deliver a result at step five, a report. We would say, based on Myers-Briggs, you are a competitive leader. We wouldn't say, because we're not licensing Myers-Briggs, we're using it simply as a directional tool. The MT intuitive thinking type of Myers-Briggs would be the competitive. So you are a competitive leader and we would use both John Maxwell's data on leaders and what he would view as a competitive leader and Myers-Briggs languaging tools to be able to give a report of who you are. So we just, you give us some information about you. We gave you a report and because we're using information that you know, in this case, in the case of John Maxwell, that he knew about his leaders and customers, and that we use from Myers-Briggs, who's a data set that we could pull in, we're able to create four reports for, in this reverse opt-in process, based on the Myers-Briggs temperament types that tell the customer, the person who did the test, exactly about them. And typically speaking, we hit 80 to 90% accuracy based on that information. Now there's a, some people are off and sometimes there's a little, the 10% is too much, but typically speaking, if I can tell you 80% about you by you answering 20 questions, most people are not only impressed, they feel seen and heard. They feel hurt. Yeah. I was just going to say they, they feel seen and heard. They feel seen and heard. So now that I've just told you about you, Kelly, would you like to know more about you? Absolutely. Right. So that's what we say. So now that we've told you what type of leader you are or whatever the subject matter is, would you like to know more about you? 
Uh, John Maxwell has, based on you being a competitive leader, has three videos on how you can be a better leader. All you have to do is opt in for those three videos that are tailored directly for your personality type. Right. So now we've identified strengths and weaknesses on that result. And we're saying, Hey, we're going to help you address being a better leader. So we're going to tell you more about you and how to be a better you. So we get, we average an 87% conversion rate into that kind of a process. Because of course, as you said, if I'm talking about you and then I'm going to say, I'm going to talk more about you. Of course, most people want to be, they want to know more about you. So when you move from step uh, one, two, three, four to five, six, seven, eight, you move from being seen and heard to a different need. Now, AWeber and Copyblogger, about, it was about seven years ago now, they did a study. And AWeber, of course, is a CRM, and they looked at subject lines. They, had, they actually had Copyblogger look at subject lines across the industry. And they wanted to see if there was a subject line that worked regardless of product and at what rate it worked. And they actually found one. And they found one that worked at an 80% open rate regardless of the product or service being sold. It worked for selling cars, it worked for selling candy, it worked for selling Viagra, it worked for selling books. And the subject line, and this is what covers five through eight, was you are not alone. Because most people feel alone most of the time. So steps one through four is about you helping the customer feel seen and heard. The next four steps are about helping them feel that they're not alone. We're not moving into solution yet. We're simply helping them know that the problem that they're going through is something that others have gone through and that you're helping them know that they are not alone in having that problem. Because if you can help them feel seen and heard and help them see that they're not alone, then of course, if you're demonstrating that they're not alone, then you probably have the solution to the problem that they're having later on. So it's step five we ask for the opt-in in a reverse opt-in. Step five goes from hand to hand to hand to shoulder. So we're here and I'm pulling you in. We're slowly getting closer and closer and closer within the relationship. And one of the benefits about the 12 steps of intimacy is that it requires you as a business owner to be respectful of, uh, to not only understand your customer, but to be respectful of them, right? You know, that's not to say if we were flirting and I came up and I kissed you, without having a conversation that you wouldn't kiss me back. But most women, most of the time would smack me. And if you didn't, if you kiss me back, then what's being communicated is an interest in a transaction, not a long-term relationship, right? And so what we're looking at as we go through this is helping the customer know that we respect them. If we have, we don't, but if we have that interpersonal relationship and we're going through this process naturally, you, the woman has the right, man does too, to be able to say no or slow down or to be able to keep things going at the rate that they feel most comfortable with. The same is true in, in marketing. Um, most businesses are looking for the low-hanging fruit, the, the 1% to 3% that are ready right now. And so they design, based on direct response marketing, they design their entire campaigns for that low level of conversion in the alienation of the rest of their audience. Even though 50% of their customers would buy from them at some point in the future if they simply give them enough time. So what we're doing here is we're giving the customer the ability to slow down and to be able to move at their own speed. Furthermore, in the real world, when you build a relationship with someone, it's never just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, six, five, four, three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, five, four, three. And there's a natural back and forth and back and forth in building the relationship. It just, that's what we do. So when you design a marketing uh, campaign or marketing plan, you have to be able to plan for that type of engagement to emulate what happens in a normal conversation. So Michael, we are running out of time, but I want to make sure that people get the rest of these 12 steps. Where can, I understand that you've written an amazing, amazing white paper that details all of this information. How can people get that? 
they can email me at michael at profluent.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L at P-R-O-F-L-U-E-N-T dot C-O-M. And, you know, if anybody has a problem, they're not able to, they don't hear from or engage from me, obviously, please email uh, Kelly because she can get a hold of me and we can make sure that one way or the other that we get you the, the file. But the best way is to, is to email me at michael at profluent.com and I'll send them the whole report. And thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, as usual, fascinating information and stuff that's obviously not talked about out in the industry a lot. And, you know, if people started to design their, their funnels and their marketing campaigns this way, they would have much, much better results in their business overall. No question about it. So you guys, we, as usual, have all of the show notes up for you. We've got all of the information for you to be able to reach out and follow Michael on social media. We will put the link to his email for you to get the white paper and all of the other information that you need. Also, check out his best-selling book, Pendulum, on Amazon. Amazon, Barnesville, and all the other retailers. There you go. So it is there for you. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Until next time, thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitology Podcast. Okay, guys. So here we go. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Profitology Podcast. If you did, please share this show with someone that you know and help spread the word to your followers on social media. This is how we reach more entrepreneurs just like you around the world. Also, I'd like to continue the conversation with you about all things profitology. So please join me and your fellow profitpreneurs in our free Facebook group. You can find us at profitpreneurcircle.com. I frequently go live in our community to share tips, trainings, and innovative profit acceleration strategies, as well as resources that can help you accelerate your results in your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.